Amen. Let's get our Bibles out and open up to the book of 1 Peter. Tonight we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, you can find that on page 1391, the Pew Bible there in front of you. If you didn't bring a copy of Scripture, just open up to page 1391 all the way towards the back of your New Testament. You'll find the epistle, the first one of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We have been... Uh, for some time, talking about this issue of sanctification, uh, we have been uh, framing all of this sort of in uh, under the the overall uh, principle that we're living out our our Christianity, and by doing so, uh, we're using uh, Philippians chapter two verses twelve and thirteen as really our our framework to set our minds about this. And so I just want to spend a few moments and sort of get us uh, reacquainted with how we got to where we are, okay? I endeavored in the very beginning of this series uh, to, to get our minds to, to think about this issue of sanctification. And in doing so, I uh, challenged you. I talked about the multitudes of professing Christians that uh, especially in the in in the West here in the United States, where uh, I said that the, that they stand on the shore of God's ocean, content to dip their toes in once or twice a week and go home. All the while, God is calling people to dive in headfirst and experience the vastness of what it means to be counted among the beloved and called among the empowered. That the issue with regards to sanctification is that sanctification is not something that is forced upon us. It, it comes to us to the degree in which we uh, embrace it and we uh, work with it and we are involved in this process. And so it's, uh, it's not something that it's, it's very hard theologically to just lay down certain uh, principles with you with regards to sanctification. Technically, theologically, biblically, you cannot be a Christian and opt out of sanctification. Okay? You need to understand that. You can't, you can't opt out of it. It's not negotiable. But at the same time, you can also, uh, as I think I put it in the first week, float down the lazy river of sanctification and not do anything to uh, advance it in your life. And so that's what makes it so so difficult for us. That's what makes it so... Uh, because we live in a time and in a culture where there's so many things that are beckoning for our attention and uh, calling for us and tickling our fancy and making us comfortable and so many different things that there's a lot of competition for sanctification, which is... Normal here, but very strange uh, when you travel the world and when you see Christians um, thriving in third world and impoverished areas of the globe. Uh, you see them just uh, clawing forward in sanctification. It's really a remarkable thing. They don't have the distractions that we have. They don't have the uh, the sort of take-it-or-leave-it attitude that so oftentimes the American Christian has with regards to sanctification. 
you know, the question is not, is God speaking? I mean, if we're, if we're a Christian, if we're saved, the question is not, is He speaking? The question is, am I listening? That, that's a very important question. Am I listening to what the God of the universe is saying? Is it, is it something that, that I am endeavoring to do is to, as the psalmist would say, incline my ear to that which God is speaking to me? And so the disconnect that exists between what we read about in Scripture and what we experience in our own life, it's remarkable that we can just jump past that. That we can open up the Bible, read about these remarkable individuals and the remarkable God that worked in their lives. That, that, that in their, apart from God, they're just simple, ordinary, frail People, just like us, and yet God does extraordinary things through them. But then somehow when it translates into our modern life, we, we just think, well, I, I know, that was a, a dispensation long gone. That was something that God did in a, in a time long gone. But today we just sort of, you know, God's not doing those kinds of things. And I think the Scripture begs to differ. I, I think the Scripture declares loudly that Deep, abiding, unshakable joy is there to be had. And the, the bounty of the grace and goodness of God in sanctification is available to each and every one of His children uh, in unlimited degree. It's just according to what are we hungry and thirsty for? So let's pray and ask God to help our hearts be hungry and thirsty tonight as we look at His Word. Father, we thank You for the glorious declaration that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So Father, maybe tonight we're hungry and we're thirsty. Maybe tonight we're in a spirit of timidity. We want to be hungry. We want to be thirsty, but we don't know exactly what that looks like or what you will do with that in our lives. And so, Lord, we're, we're just slowly moving up towards the plate of opportunity that you've laid before us. Father God, I pray that you will fill our hearts with a deep desire, a hunger and a thirst, a longing, a panting, for you and what you have for us in this life, Lord. God, that we would want to squeeze everything that we can out of the opportunities that you have placed before us. And so it begins now, Lord, as we turn to your perfect and errant word. God, help us to approach it reverently, but to devour it completely. And we'll give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, the Scripture says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not just in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what we're doing. We're working out this field of salvation. And the Bible goes on to say that, For it is God who works in you both to do and to will for His good pleasure. And so we know that, that, that phrase, 
works in you, it means in the original language, is energized by, that God energizes the work. He's the one that gives the, the, the power that we need to do this work, to work out this field of salvation that God has given us to work in. And we also have established the fact that in order to become the person that we have always dreamt of being, we're going to have to do the things that we don't want to do. Because the problem with Philippians 2.12, let's be honest, is the word work. That's the problem. We don't want to work. We just want to, we just want to be spoon fed. We just want everything to just, you know, we want to get a shot or a vaccine or something, but we don't want to work. We want it to be easy. We want the, give me the cliff notes, you know, help me out here. Make this simple. And so in the process of sort of pushing through this, we, we've talked about how uh, all of these things that we do in, in, in preparation to go out and work, where we put on the garment of grace. Remember that? We talked about the garment of grace. We talked about how we, we're... We are dead now and have been born again. And so we, we declare ourselves to be a serial killers of sin and serial rejoicers in Christ. And then we spent the last several weeks talking about repentance and the shovel of repentance that is the tool that God gives us to, to dig into the soil of our salvation and to loosen that ground up. But now, I mean, we've gotten off the porch, we've gotten our shovels out, we've done all these things. But tonight, we're actually going to plant something. I mean, aren't you glad? It took us a long time to get here, but now we're ready to plant something in the ground. We're going to get dirty tonight, okay? Good. Glad you're so excited about that. Come on. We're going to get dirty. We're going to get dirty. And we're going to reap. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna at least... We're going to plant and we're going to start learning about, hey, well, what are we planting? What are we reaping? What, what's the, well, we're going to answer a whole bunch of questions and maybe create a whole bunch more, but then that just gives me a few more weeks to answer questions, right? Right, okay. So let's read in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. 1 Peter 1, 22, the Bible says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower fails, falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, this is a very profound passage of Scripture where Peter is really, um, he is exhorting the readers of this epistle to love one another. But he's not just saying, hey, you know what, you need to love one another, that's what you need to do, so go out there and do it. He's building a platform and a case to be able to 
create, because he knows that people just don't love each other uh, just because that's what they think they're supposed to do. But it takes something supernatural. And so he's teaching us some things in here. But what we find in this little pericope, this little section of Scripture right here, is a glorious uh, picture of how this farming, how this work in this field of sanctification works. And so here's the first question we ask, and that is, what is the seed? What is this seed? Because you, I'm, I'm sure that uh, as astute as you are, many of you in here, you have uh, gone ahead of me and you've sort of thought out some of these things. And so you're not surprised that we're now talking about the seed and you have a good idea of what the seed is. And obviously this passage talks about the seed. In verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, this seed, this seed, this incorruptible seed, that means it's eternal. It's, it's everlasting. This seed is, it's indestructible. It's, 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 it cannot be, uh, hindered or stopped or destroyed. It, it will endure forever, this seed. Now, James chapter one gives us a good insight into the issue of this seed. Uh, verse 18 of James one, this scripture should come up on the screen, of his own uh, he will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and over an overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Isn't that good? That this morning we were implanting grace and now we've got the implanted word. And so it, so James, he says in verse 18 that we were brought forth by the word of truth. We were brought forth by the word of truth. Just as Peter's talking about we were born again by this uh, incorruptible seed. And then, but James uses this, this phrase, he says, that we are to receive with meekness the implanted word. And so what I'm doing is I'm just trying to take all of these passages in the New Testament that have this farming imagery and trying to build this picture so that we can really understand that which we're talking about. Now, if we're born again, if we, if we, were, if we were having been born again according to 1 Peter, if we've been brought forth, that means we've been we've been born into or brought into something new if that's happened then here's the question why are we not more spectacular do you ever ask that question i mean hello if if you and i have been born again shouldn't we shouldn't that be like this big wow moment like Boy, I mean, we're, you know, I mean, the Bible says that we're new creations, that behold, all things have passed away. But you know what? You look the same. You talk the same. You sound the same. In some ways, we act the same. I mean, it's just not that remarkable, is it? I mean, it, what happens is remarkable, but the, the visual product, it's not that stunning. Okay, maybe it is for you. When I look in the mirror, it's not that astounding. Don't be so sensitive. 
Why? You ever thought about that? Why? For the same reason why when you're walking through the forest, you're not astounded by an acorn. You don't pick an acorn up and just marvel at the acorn. You don't look at an acorn and go, look at this extraordinary seed. The potential that this seed has to grow into this monstrosity of a tree, this, this incredible, just dynamic, stationary, uh, strong and vibrant, incredible tree, all from this tiny little seed. We're not astounded by the seed. We're astounded by the tree. And so when we're born again, we're not astounded because we're just an acorn. But what we need to realize is what the Bible's teaching is that this seed, oh... This seed makes an acorn look ridiculous. This incorruptible seed that represents what has been implanted in you and I at salvation, it is, it's extraordinary beyond words. All I can do is, is, is try to grapple with the words that Scripture gives me to try to put a a face on this to try to help you see the capacity of the seed. James chapter 2, verse 8 says this, if, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture. Have you ever read that? You just thought, the royal law. Like, that's different. It's, it's not just the law. It's the royal law. Law that that phrase that James uses in in James one twenty one, the implanted word. It's a it's a high packs legomena. That means it's a, it's the only place in the Bible where that word appears, which is pretty rare. It it it, it causes scholars to pause and hesitate and maybe spend a little extra time working on this word and, and asking questions. It, it, it means this implanted, that word implanted, it, it means that it's natural versus acquired. Now, now this is important. That, you see, if you, if you learn something new, it's not natural. It's acquired. If you learn how to Change the oil in your car. You acquired that skill. You weren't born with that. But this word, this implanted word, it doesn't mean acquired. It means natural. So when you've been reborn by this implanted seed, by this implanted word, that what can be birthed out of it is it's natural. It's not acquired. You see, you ought to be a whole lot more excited about that. Listen. You, you see why the Bible says that it's God who works in you to, to accomplish His goodwill? Because He implanted, when you are reborn, what is the, the, the acorn that's implanted within you, this incorruptible seed... 
brings all of the potential to bear on your life naturally. It's not acquired externally. It now, you now have the born in capacity to do unbelievable things. That's awesome. So when you, when your, when your heart encounters the, the, the truths of God, you ever, you ever hear a new Christian talk about how when they got saved, the Bible changed. Reading Scripture was different. It, it was the way I always explained it, the way what I said to my wife was after I got saved, you know, I was a Bible reader before I got saved. And then I got saved and I, it was like all of a sudden the, the Bible was in three dimensions. Suddenly it, was, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't just information on a page, but I began to to be able to, to reach in and to see things within it and to pull things out of it. You see, because once I got saved, what's in the Scripture became natural to me. It wasn't acquired. It's natural. It's been grafted into me in salvation. Well, I mean, one of the ways that you and I can, can know that we're born again is the way in which we respond to Scripture. You know, a born-again person responds to Scripture in a very different way. A, a Christian, in the presence of the Word of God, responds differently. You know why? Because what you read is what you're made of. It's what's inside of you. Your, your spirit bears witness with it. There's a connection that's beyond you. It's, it's not natural to you. It's, it's now natural to the, the born again you. Everything changes. But you see, we're not, we're, we're not remarkable on the outside because the incorruptible seed has been planted within us and the potential for this, for this massive tree is in a seed form that's just planted in us implanted at salvation. And so, you know, if we, if we, what if we only receive some of the Word of God? You see, n- notice that again what James said is you receive with meekness the implanted Word. You, you receive with meekness the implanted Word. You you, there's no, you're, it, you, you, you don't come proudly before this implanted word. It, it's a stunning thing that God saves us and he, and, and he puts this incorruptible seed within us. And, and it, the Bible says that which is able to save you. And so you receive all of it because you can't, it doesn't work if you only receive part of it. Because if you receive only part of it, then you don't receive it at all. It can't be received only in portion. It can, it can only be received all. That's the only way it comes. If it comes, it comes in all. You see, because if you don't receive all of it, then you haven't received any of it. Because if you don't receive all of it, then which parts are you going to receive and not receive? You see, everything breaks down around the issue of receiving all of it. This is why, this is why I, I, I mean, there are just certain things that, 
that when I hear them fly out of somebody's mouth, I, I hesitate. I mean, I, I draw in. I draw back. They, they startle me. They rattle me. When somebody tells me that they have decided to do such and such a thing or that this is the way things are going to be, and, and I open the Bible and I say, Thus saith the Lord, and I read the Word of God to them, the next thing out of their mouth is going to be a very telling statement about who and what they are. Because if they look at me and say, well, I know the Bible says that, but I just feel like this is right for me. That is a very frightening statement. You see, that doesn't work with God. It just doesn't work. I mean, we're, we're obviously not perfect in, in our obedience, but that's our goal. But let me tell you something. If I'm doing something contrary to what God says, and then whether it be through just the Word of God itself, me and the Word of God, or spoken through another person or whatever, at the moment that my mind intersects with what God says, that intersects with how I'm at ought with what God says, there is a crisis in that moment. It's a painful crisis that something's got to be resolved. And trust me, I'm the one that's got to resolve it. I'm the one that's got to shift. I'm the one that's got to change. The Word of God is not changing. It's not moving. But the fact that I'm at odds with it is hugely problematic for my heart. And so you receive, you receive this implanted Word with meekness. So the seed primarily is the Word of God. I mean, that's what that's in the parable of the sower. You know that the, the sower sowing the seed and Jesus says the seeds, the word of God. And so that's what but it's it's really more than that. But for tonight, let's suffice it to say that that's what it is. It's the word of God. And we'll we'll stretch that as we go. All of the things that that means maybe next week or the week after that. So that's what the seed is. Now, what's the crop? What are we planting? Because here, here's the thing. This field that we're going to get out there and work in, that we've got our shovel of repentance and we're all geared up and ready to go and we get off the porch and we get out there and we're ready to work. Well, okay, so we're going to start planting this seed in this soil, but what's it going to grow? Now, here's what you got to understand. You're, you're in the kingdom of God. There's not some people growing corn and some people growing peas and other people are growing, you know, rutabagas. Is that... Is that fair? Who even knows how that thing grows? I'm not eating it and I don't know what it is, but it grows, right? Okay. But that's not how that works. You see, we're planting the seed and it's producing a crop. But what is the crop? What is it producing? Look at verse 22. 1 Peter 1 verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. So the seed is the Word of God. And as we plant it into the soil, the crop is then purity and obedience. The crop is obedience, which brings about purity. What's happened here is that since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, then Peter goes on and he says, uh, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, 
love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. All of this is, is because we've been born again by this incorruptible seed. So this purity and o- obedience. So what happens? The crop, what is harvested from this field is righteousness. It's purity and obedience. And so as you, as you plant this seed in the ground and the crop grows, every time you harvest the crop, it's a harvest of righteousness. And so what happens is the person who's harvesting this righteousness, who's been planting and working with this shovel of repentance in their life, is going to grow in the likeness of the one whose image they bear. This is the process of sanctification. It's to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so as we work in this field, as we get our hands dirty in this field, what happens is produces this crop of righteousness in our life. We become more righteous people. We become more obedient people. We become people who are more sensitive to our sin. We become people who are live a more purified life before God. Now, here's the thing. Remember, this field has unlimited potential. We've established that in a number of ways. If you just remember what we said about 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that the Bible says, "...and His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness." So how much righteousness can your field produce? Everything that pertains to life and godliness. There's no limit. So let's see if we got this right. So what I'm saying is that what the Bible's saying is that God, when you and I are born again, puts a seed, an incorruptible seed within us in the new birth that is capable of producing an unlimited crop. That as much as you dig with the shovel, and as much as you put the seed in the ground, it continues to grow and produce and grow and produce and grow and produce. And you can harvest and I can harvest all the righteousness that our hearts desire, all the righteousness that we can possibly harvest. There's no limit. It never ends. It doesn't matter if you're 16, 56, 106. It doesn't matter. This seed is incorruptible and it's unbelievable in its potential. And so Jesus can just come right on the scene and say these amazing things in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, he can say things like, the pure in heart will see God. What? He can say things like, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be not, not satisfied, filled, filled. I mean, just think about that for a second. You can be filled with righteousness. You. Have you seen yourself lately? Me. I could be filled with it. How extraordinary is that? So we have the seed, we have the crop. But I know how we're wired. See, I, 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 have to, I have to come behind that and say, well, why does that matter? 
See, that's the third thing. Why? 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 Convince me, Tony. Why? Why do I need to, to get off the porch and get my shovel and start digging in this field and start planting this incorruptible seed in the ground? Why? What if I, I'm, not, I'm not... Okay, so it has unlimited potential for righteousness, but if that doesn't completely blow your mind, well, then why does it matter? Well, notice what Peter says. In uh, verse 2 of chapter 2, he says... As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word of the word that you may grow thereby. In other words, what happens if you decide to just float down the lazy river? What if you just sit on the porch and say, you know what? I just don't think I'm going to get out there and I'm not going to work in the field. Then what happens? Why is that such a tragedy? Because what's Peter saying? Because whenever... You are born again. No matter how brilliant you think you are, no matter how successful you may have been in a secular setting, no matter how big, strong, small, weak, whatever the case may be, every single person who's ever been born again starts the same way as a baby. And so guess what happens to a baby that is born, that decides, I think I'm going to remain a baby. What happens? What, 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 what would happen if your children just remained a baby? They never grew. Now, don't think of all the selfish reasons why that's bad, because that's what I do. I think about, oh, you, are you kidding me? So we're like a lifelong in diapers, and, and it's a lifelong uh, existence of making bottles and, you know, trying to figure out what's wrong with you without you being able to tell me and all the problems of that. Yeah, but let's go beyond that. What, what, is, what are the consequences of that for them? Not for the parent, but for them. How dangerous is it? To just stay a baby. To just exist in a state of helplessness and dependence and need all the time. Unable to protect yourself, to, to make thoughtful decisions, to... I think that's exactly... What happens all the time? Babies, by nature, are unstable. They're emotionally unstable. Babies, one minute, they're whining and crying and screaming, and then the next minute, they're giggling and happy. And I mean, they, they, they're all over the map. Little small children... Lisa and I were watching some videos of our kids. Uh, uh, I think last night we were at home watching uh, little movies of our kids when they were small. I mean, my daughter, talk about a drama queen. Oh, my goodness. When she was like four years old, she'd come in there, Mama, and then Lisa would go, want a popsicle? Yeah. Like, totally, not just... Unstable. That, that 
whatever whim is happening. Now, how does that translate into the Christian life? What happens to the Christian who rails against sanctification, who decides they're going to remain a baby? They're unstable. You know what they do? They, they're fine as long as everything's going their way. But as soon as catastrophe, as soon as calamity, as soon as suffering, as soon as some unforeseen struggle comes, they flip out. And suddenly they're railing against God. Oh, how can it be that I've lost my job? How can it be that suddenly I've got cancer? How can it be? It's so unjust. I have been faithful to God and God has just turned His back on me. And now bad things are happening to me. That's a baby. That's a baby Christian. That's what babies do. They cry and then they go, oh, it's a popsicle. I see Christians do that all the time. What else is true about babies? Babies are utterly consumed with themselves. Everything is about them. Babies and small children have no concept of other people's needs, other people's comfort, other people's uh, serving other people. I mean, there's no other uh, uh, centeredness in children and babies. It's all about them and what their current circumstances and comfort is. And so what happens? Christians walk around. I know my grown-up people walk around. And every time you see them, their feelings are hurt about something. They're always bent out of shape about something. Somebody hasn't done what they should have done or this or that or is there some injustice or it's, it's you know, they've been overlooked or disregarded or like a little baby. That's what babies do. That's what babies do. You know, when you grow up and you get mature, you just know that you know what? Sometimes people don't do things the way you want them to be done. It's just part of life. But babies, they don't understand that. Well, so now what else happens if you rail against sanctification? If you just decide that, you know what, I'm not going to go out in the field. I'm not going to work in the field. Babies have almost no attention span. I mean, they lay in their little, you know, bouncy thing. And they're, and they're all excited about some sparkly little mobile that's floating around their head. And then like five seconds later, they're, they're completely over that and onto something else. They can't focus on anything for more than, you know, five minutes. It's just a never. And if you want to keep a child or a baby's attention, you have to, you have to entertain them. You have to be as flamboyant and as, as big as you possibly can for them to stay focused on what you're trying to do. Now, what do we see today? People come to church, what do they? They want to be entertained. They're babies. They, they, they're, they're not interested in, in, the hard things. They're not interested in the deep things. They want things to be easy and simple. Now let's see. As I think about this situation. You know, sometimes people will, uh, you know, sometimes 
Sometimes God moves people from one place to another because it's His kingdom and He's God and He can do whatever He wants to do. And that's God's prerogative. And then other times, sometimes people move themselves, you know, from place to place. And that's, you know, not necessarily the the best thing to do, but people do it nonetheless. But I find it interesting that so many people uh, that who endeavor to hunger and thirst for righteousness don't really have the attention span to to get there. They don't don't really want to do that. What they really want is to be entertained. That's what they really want. And so when somebody comes to me and they say, you know, they say to me that, Well, you know, here's the thing, Tony. People, they have a hard time paying attention for an hour. Okay. So the solution is let's just whittle down what we're going to do so that you're able to keep your attention. In which I find that multitudes of people don't have any problem whatsoever keeping the attention. Do they? No. There's many, 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 many people in this church who, if I preached for four hours, you wouldn't move. But, for example, when someone, as the case was, you know, uh, maybe a year or two ago, a couple came to me and they said, they said, well, here's the thing, Pastor. We cannot, you know, we just, we can't handle hour-long sermons. I said, really? Now, I wasn't being a smart aleck. I was listening because I want to be sensitive. They might be speaking to me something I need to hear. And oftentimes it is. And I'm not saying that I take time lightly. I don't. But I just want to be clear that I'm going to be sensitive to God. So anyway, they said, well, you just can't do that. And I said, well, let's talk about that. What's the problem? And these are people who've been in church a long time, long time. So what's the problem? Well, we just, it's just too much. We, we you know, we, it's too much. I said, well, but help me with too much. We just can't sit there that long. It's just too much. Can't, can't pay attention that long. It's just too much. They kept saying over and over, it's too much. I said, now, you only come Sunday morning. I've never seen you on Sunday night. I've never seen you on Wednesday night. So all you're getting is an hour a week. That's too much. And they're like, it's just too much. It's too much. Now, I'm hesitant to tell you this, but it's the truth, so I'm going to confess it to you. So a few weeks pass. Just sometimes God just throws me a bone because He loves me. So a few weeks pass, and me and my wife make our, you know, once-a-year trip to the movie theater to see uh, a movie. And so I take my wife to the movies, and we go there, and guess who I see? 
And I said, hey, how are you? And they said, fine. I said, ma'am, what are you seeing? So they told me and I said, isn't that like two hours long? Can you handle that? Was that wrong? They're babies. They're babies. Psalm 42, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says that deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The psalmist is describing drowning in the, in the, in, and suffering and, and God, the deep is calling to deep and he's, he's, he feels like he's sinking and he's going to drown. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. You see, deep calls to deep when God is your life. But when we can sit in a two and a half, two hour movie theater and watch some filth, but a sermon is just too far from us, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Christianity cannot ebb and flow based on how we feel and whether or not we're entertained. Now, I will admit that I have, I have heard people take the Word of God and make it utterly and completely boring. But come on. It is the incorruptible seed. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says about those who desire to follow him? He, he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. I don't see a call in Scripture to, to be entertained, to be, to be humored, to enjoy yourself. Uh, but that it's all about just fun and games. I, it's serious. Righteousness is serious business. It's hard work. It's farming. Let's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not going to the, the ballpark and, and, and eating a hot dog and watching a ball game. It's farming. I mean, come on. It's work. But it's the, it's the crop that makes it worth it. It's the yield that makes everything okay. But babies don't get that. Lastly, babies are gullible. Babies babies don't have any sense. They don't have any wisdom. They don't have any framework for information. They don't have any way to discern something being right and wrong. And so the Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, we should not be, we should no longer be as children tossed to and fro and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You see, if you... If you sit on the porch, if you say no to the opportunity to work in the field, this is what happens. This is the result of people who 
thwart the process of sanctification in their life. They stay as infantiles. Though they grow, they look mature, they, they, they seem to, in many, many ways, physically be mature, but they're babies. They're babies. Now, now listen, we need to think through this and realize that if we... This, why is this so important? Because if, if you and I, if we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we don't get involved in this process of sanctification, then what's going to happen is we're going to remain unstable, self-centered, gullible Christians with no attention span for the things of God. How can it be hard to pay attention to what is the most profound thing in all the universe? How? I don't know. But it is. And so we need to consider what is the issue here? And so how, how is Peter saying that we grow? If we just look at this passage, how do we grow? Well, if you look at verse 22... We grow by obeying the truth. I mean, on Sunday mornings, we've said that, that all of these issues with our relationships revolve around how do we respond to the truth that we know? Well, look right here. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. If you want to grow, I'm just going to give you three simple ways to grow. Just from this passage. And then next week we'll stack some other things on. But just simply right here. If you want to grow, number one, obey what you know. Just obey what you know. Which I know I've said a hundred different ways in the last two months. Obey what you know. Because when you obey what you know, what's going to happen? What does he say? Love one another fervently with a pure heart. What have we been saying on Sunday mornings? That when we bring to bear the truth that we know, it's going to manifest itself in the way that we relate to each other. When we obey the truth of God, it creates in us this love for one another. We love each other because we're obedient to the truth. When we rail against the truth, we won't love each other. But when we do, we will. And then thirdly, Desire the pure milk of the word. Notice that Peter doesn't say desire the, the meat of the word, which the Bible says in other places. But here it's the pure milk. So we're talking about this seed that's been this incorruptible seed that's been planted in the ground. And when that seed is planted in the ground at salvation, when we get the opportunity to work in this field, what happens is that seed in the beginning... It's just, it's just the milk of the word. You know what? Sometimes, sometimes when you're young, you, you have to, you start out with, with just drinking liquid things. Everything has to be ground up into little tiny pieces for you to be able to take it in. And so brand new Christians, they need little pieces to take it in. So if that's the case, then what happens is, 
brand new Christians need to be very diligent about doing things like taking notes so that they can go back and they can break it down into little pieces so they can ingest it. And as they get older, they can take bigger chunks. They can move into solid food and they can start to take, you know, little bites at a time. And as you get more and more mature, you begin to eat differently. You, you pretty soon don't need anybody to cut up your food for you anymore. You can just sit down at the table and eat. You can sit down for an hour and dine on what God has put before you. Isn't that amazing? Yes. But you, the key is that you desire it. It's that you desire it. Because if you never eat the little pieces, you're never going to get to the meat. Because it'll choke you. It'll choke you. You got to eat little pieces. So figure out how to do that. Figure out how to eat little pieces. But how do these three, what is the context of these three things? Look at how Peter ends in verse 3 of chapter 2. If indeed you have tasted of the Lord, that the Lord is, what's the word? Gracious. What is the fuel to farming? It's the grace of God. He says, indeed, if you've tasted, you know what? When you taste food, it doesn't make the food better. If my wife cooks the greatest meal in the world and it's just sitting over there, I can smell it, I can see it, but I can't touch it. When I taste it, the goodness of that food is not changed in any way. It was just as good before I tasted it as after I tasted it. But tasting it changes my experience of the food. God doesn't change when you taste of His graciousness. You change. You experience the graciousness of God. And so what happens is when you taste that the Lord is gracious, you then experience that God is a God of grace. And that grace is what's going to fuel the process of you obeying the truth. Because you need the grace of God. You need to taste of the grace of God to obey the truth. You need to taste of the grace of God to then put grace forth in our relationships and love one another. You need to taste of the grace of God to desire the pure milk of the Word. It's the grace of God that fuels it all. you got to taste of it. Got a taste of it. You see, we want to grow. We want to grow and mature into all that God has for us to be. That's the goal. And, and it's all, it's all in the journey. It's all in the journey. And what grieves my heart as a pastor is to see people forsaking the opportunity that's before us. One story and then I'm done. I think we're going to have a business meeting, so I better hush. A couple of months ago, one of our Awana leaders came to me and he said, uh, he said, hey, um, do you have any 
children's Bibles in your office? I said, sure. What do you need? And he said, well, there's a, it's a young, young man that's coming to Awana. And um, he, he asked me if uh, I could get him a Bible. And I said, yeah, no problem. So I said, well, come on, follow me to my office. So we go back to my office and I, you know, I asked him some questions. I said, you know, how old is he? And, you know, I'm looking there. And so I pull the Bible down and he says, you know, he, he, uh, he, he rides to church with somebody. His, his family's not a Christian family. He's never been to church before, but he's, he loves Awana. And he's really just, uh, you know, just really a, a unique kid. And he wants a Bible. And so I want to give it to him. And I said, well, here. So I give him a Bible and off he goes. And, you know, that was that. So a couple weeks pass, and uh, so one Sunday, about once a month or so, I like to go over there before service and just hang out and see what's going on in Awana. So I'm over there, stand there a few weeks ago, and this young man runs up to me, and he, he grabs around my leg, and he says, Pastor, Pastor. And I look down, and I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and he goes, thank you. Thank you for giving me that Bible. And I clicked and I said oh hey yeah okay no problem you know I I wasn't aware that he was going to go say that it was from me I meant for it to be from him but he told the kid he said well the pastor gave me a bible so I'm giving it to you so he says thank you for the bible I said man you're so welcome so welcome and then there's this awkward moment you know where okay so now what do we say and so I said just, you know, being a pastor, I guess I said, well, have you read any of it? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I'm almost done. I said, what? He said, I'm almost done. I said, really? And he goes, yeah, let me show you. And he goes over to his little bag and he reaches in there and he pulls the Bible out that I'd given him. And he comes over there and he opens it to where the bookmark is. And he's in the book of Ephesians. And I said, where did you start? And he said, the beginning. I said, you read the whole Old Testament? Yeah. You read all the way through the Gospels and into the through Acts and Romans into the epistles? Yes, sir. I was speechless. So what's your excuse? That kid. has been going to his room every day and opening up that Bible. And I started doing some calculations in my head. And I don't know how what his reading level is or anything else, but I went back and I sort of looked at a calendar and I sort of floated this thing out because I was really... St- I mean, I'm just being honest. There's a part of me that was going, come on, really? All of it? You read all that. And so I looked at it. And I figured he must have read his Bible on average for about 40 minutes a day since I gave it to him. Seven days a week. So I told that to the leader. And 
look on his face of sheer astonishment. And he said, but you know, that doesn't surprise me. Because that young man is so hungry. And instantly I thought, see, why is my heart so quick to doubt? Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. It doesn't matter if you're only this tall. You will be filled. Let's stand. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this journey of sanctification that lies before us, God. I pray in Jesus' name, in His power and His authority, that, God, we might begin, Lord, to grasp the magnitude of the opportunity that's before us in Your Word. What the potential of that's harnessed within this incorruptible seed. Father God, I... I ask that you will help me and my brothers and sisters in here to lay aside the the guilt and the condemnation that the enemy would seek to place upon us. That, God, we would not fall into the trap of doing what we've always done because we feel guilty about what we've always done. But, Lord God, that we would, in our hearts, desire the pure milk of the Word. That, Father, you would speak into our lives in such a profound way. That, God, as we work in this field of salvation that you've given us, that a great harvest of righteousness would be reaped in each of our lives, God, that we wouldn't be looking across the way, we wouldn't be looking at other people's fields, we wouldn't be concerned about how other people's crops are doing, but God, we would just be laboring in the field that you've given us, in the quietness of our relationship with you, Lord God. God, deep calls to deep. Call us to the deep, Lord. We know that in the deep, sometimes it feels like the waves are crashing over our heads. Sometimes it can feel a little bit scary. But Lord, thank you for assuring our hearts that it's you. It's you who works in us to accomplish all of these things. So, Father, we we know that you're holding us. Your hand is upon us. Your strength is within us. And this opportunity is before us. So, Lord, we want to desire all that you have. So, God, just help us in these few moments as we just bow our heads in silence, Lord, to reflect on your goodness, God. Thank you for the invitation to be more than we ever thought possible, to be partakers of your divine nature. 
that these glorious things that are harnessed within the potential of this seed are natural to us. They're not external, but they're grafted into us. They're who we are as your beloved children. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So, Father, as we just pause in this moment, just hear our hearts in Jesus' name.